You're on your Peloton bike, you're exercising, what are you doing? You are strengthening the muscles in your legs and maybe elsewhere in your body, and you might even be strengthening the muscle in your heart. But it does not matter how much exercise you're doing. It doesn't matter how many times you've renewed your membership to the gym. If you're eating meat, dairy products, eggs, the cholesterol and the animal fat in those cause artery blockages to form. And they're like little blisters inside the artery. And if one of them happens to burst open as they can, then it causes a blood clot to form. It's just like a cork in a bottle, no more blood flow. Welcome to the exam room podcast brought to you by the physicians committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us in more than 130 countries around the world and in healthy cities coast to coast here in the U.S. So hello to all of the exam roomies listening in Buffalo, New York, Tucson, Arizona, and Wheeling, West Virginia. We appreciate you all helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 101 from season 4, number 296 overall. And today we will be welcoming Dr. Neil Barnard back to the exam room live for another fantastic Q&A. But this time we're going to be doing things a little bit different because we're going to be taking a page from the Law and Order playbook and doing something that was ripped from the headlines. In this case, we're talking about all of the headlines surrounding the sudden and shocking death of Christopher Noth's character, Mr. Big, on the Sex and the City reboot. Now, Mr. Big, if you're familiar with the series, or at least you watched this episode, he is an avid exerciser, had just wrapped up a ride on his Peloton bike, and to look at him, he appears to be in shape, he's kind of muscular, and really not bad at all for a man who is slightly past middle age. But then out of nowhere, after he rides and he's headed to the shower, he clutches his left arm, he slumps down, and sadly, dies of a heart attack. And while Mr. Big's death was, in fact, very shocking, it was not the first time we've heard about somebody who is supposedly in shape or even a super athlete who dies prematurely from a heart issue. So what happened there? Well, Dr. Barnard is here to talk about what may have gone wrong and why looking fit on the outside may only be masking an unhealthy mess on the inside, especially when food comes into play. So in this case, the question is quite simple. Why can't you outpedal a heart attack? Well, we are going to find out, and we're going to be opening up the doctor's mailbag, answering a lot of great questions sent in by the viewers. You exam room is always so smart. We have questions about healthy fats. We have questions about caffeine and how much of a health boost you can actually get by just eating a healthy diet 75% of the time and then just going wild the other 25% of the time, eating whatever it is that you want. So how does the health there compare to a 100% healthy diet? Dr. Barnard is going to weigh in on that as well. And then after we close up the mailbag, stick around because I have details on a brand new study showing that you can reduce your risk of dying from many of the leading causes of death just by changing what you eat. But right now, I wanted to let you know that today's episode of The Exam Room is being brought to you by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. Greg Ryder's love for animals was unrivaled, 
And today, the fund in his honor is dedicated to supporting organizations like the Physicians Committee that share that same passion and the love that he had. And they're doing it through animal rescue efforts and by promoting a vegan lifestyle and even wildlife conservation. Visit GregoryRiderFund.org. That's Gregory, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org, where you can learn more about Greg's story and about the issues they are currently working on. And while you're there, I also encourage you to please subscribe to their newsletter. And a link to that website can be found right now in the show notes. Okay, it is time now to talk about exercise and why you can't outrun, you can't outpedal a heart attack. Here now, the Q&A with Dr. Neil Barnard. Sir, good to see you again. Good to see you, Chuck. My wife actually suggested this. She's like, listen, you have to talk about the Sex and the City reboot and Chris Noth's death. That's the actor that played Mr. Big. And I was like, really? She's like, well, he had a heart attack, but he had just gotten off of his Peloton bike. And even though he smokes the occasional cigar, he looked to be a rather fit individual. So how is it that somebody who looks fit like that could still be prone to having heart issues. And that brings us to today's discussion because Dr. Barnard, we actually had a question from Lucy who was wondering, can exercise offset the effects of a poor diet on your heart? Well, Lucy's got a great question, a really, really important question because people mix these things up. You're on your Peloton bike, you're exercising, what are you doing? You are um, strengthening the muscles in your legs and maybe elsewhere in your body. And you might even be strengthening the muscle in your heart. But what causes you to drop dead and be found on the floor of the shower has nothing to do with uh, the health of the heart muscle, uh, at least not initially, or the health of the muscles in your legs. It has to do with the arteries that go through the heart. They're the coronary arteries. They call that because they crown the heart. They're on the surface of the heart, and then they dive in, and they are the ones that provide oxygen through the bloodstream to the muscle. That's where the problem is. It does not matter how much exercise you're doing. It doesn't matter how many times you've renewed your membership to the gym. If you're eating meat, dairy products, eggs, the cholesterol and the animal fat in those cause artery blockages to form. This is in the artery and they're like little blisters inside the artery. And if one of them happens to burst open as they can, then it causes a blood clot to form. It's just like a cork in a bottle, no more blood flow. And at that point, the heart muscle will die because it's not getting any blood flow. So the bottom line is no, you can't outpedal a heart attack. What you need to do is to make sure that what you're eating is really, really healthy. And to that end, Marge has a question. I guess she was told that because when you're exercising, the blood is pumping so fiercely that it can actually clear out the plaque, that stuff that is built up in your arteries. But it sounds like from what you're saying, that is not the case. Um, exercise plays a marginal role. Um, in when Dean Ornish did his study, uh, back, way back in 1990, where he was trying to reverse a heart disease, and he did. Um, exercise was part of it. It was just a 30-minute brisk walk a day, but it was a plant-based diet, moderating stress, throwing away the cigarettes. If a person is not on a healthy diet, then the, all the exercise in the world isn't going to undo this. And we've seen this with athletes all the time, where they're they're exercising a lot and they're building up their muscles. Um, including even the heart muscle, but the arteries are damaged and they can have heart attacks just like anybody else. To, to think about it, let, if 
to try to push a lot of blood through your, your arteries by exercising a lot. It's sort of like trying to take a hose and, and, and sweep off the, the junk on the sidewalk. That's kind of what people are imagining they're doing. It doesn't work that way in your heart. Uh, your analogies are so good. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just everybody can understand that. Um, so here is an interesting question, uh, one from Nell Dorth. And they write in, they say, well, okay, well, what if a person burns a boatload of calories every day from all of the sports? So they're very fit, they're very active, and they need to eat these extra calories just to maintain the weight. Does that have a negative health impact because they have to eat so much? Ah, great question. Um, you need to refuel because you you've been burning maybe a hundred calories per mile that you've run or walked or jogged or whatever. And so if you're exercising a lot, you're burning a lot of calories and you do need to eat more. It's just like if you drove your car a lot, you need to fill your tank. The question is, what do you fill it with? If you fill it with a good clean fuel, you're fine. Um, and the same thing is true for your body. So what you have burned for the most part is glucose. It was stored as glycogen in your muscles and in your liver, and that's all gone. You need to build it back up. You build it back up with more glucose. Where do you find that? Starches and natural sugars. So that's why you see people before races and after races eating their bananas and eating a lot of fruit and that kind of thing. And those, those, the, the starchy foods are what you want. Beans, grains, vegetables, fruits. Uh, here's a health success story. You were talking about cholesterol of mommy vegan nummy at 1153. She writes, my triglycerides went down from more than 900 to just over 200. Says they still need more work, but every improvement counts. And they say, thank you, physicians committee, to which I say, mommy vegan nummy. That is fantastic. Congratulations. That is that is great. Um, by the way, just a, a word about what, what triglycerides are. They're little fat particles in the blood and they can in, be increased by eating fat, but they can also be increased by eating sugar and really refined starches. So it sounds like you've made some great improvements in your diet. And um, here on out, uh, no animal products. And if your diet goes toward the complex carbohydrates, the low glycemic index ones, you know the ones I'm talking about, um, the ones that don't release their sugars really fast. So say instead of white bread, uh, rye bread, pumpernickel bread, uh, beans, those are the foods that also bring your triglycerides down even further. Well, here's an interesting question. If you look at a box of Cheerios, that is marketed as being heart healthy. Um, but then you look at the ingredients, there certainly are some refined grains in there. There's a little bit of sugar in there as well. Do you think that the refined grains and the sugar that's in there would offset the fiber that I guess is providing that heart benefit? No, I think Cheerios and, and products like that are perfectly fine. It's true that they're ground up and it no longer looks like an oat. It now looks like a life preserver, but um, it's still okay. Um, and oats do lower cholesterol, not a lot, maybe about 4%, so perfectly fine. The key though, don't put half and half on top of them in your bowl. Put in almond milk, soy milk, something like that. By the way, soy milk might actually have an added cholesterol lowering effect too. So you get the oats and the soy. Ooh, score another one for soy. Um, <laughs> you, right. you were talking about uh, Dean Ornish's research here a little bit ago, and uh, happy to announce that just after the new year, he's going to be on the exam room. So stay tuned for that. Very excited. Um, but to that end and that research, Will is wondering how long it might take somebody to reverse heart disease if they adopt a whole food plant-based diet. Great question. Um, Dean Ornish's work that was published in The Lancet in 1990 did give us uh, a little bit of a, an insight into not just how often it works, and, and but, but also what the timing is. Now, his, it was a 12-month study, 
and from zero to 12 months, what they saw on angiograms, which is a scan of the arteries, the arteries were actually opening up a little bit. So you could see a definite difference at the end of 12 months. But is there a result before that? The short answer is, yeah, there is. Um, the way you could tell that is that many of the participants had angina, chest pain, and they'd been having it for years. They came in and they did the four things, plant-based diet, modest exercise, half, half hour walk every day, uh, reduce stress, throw away the cigarettes. And the chest pain in these participants really just vanished. Um, and that was within about four to five weeks, something like that. So what we think is happening is that the beginning changes occur within the first month or so, but that it just continues, continues, continues. And then at the end of 12, 12 months, you could see a very substantial difference. And for some people, they might need to continue to improve and so uh, it, it continues from there, but it does start right away at the very beginning. Um, for extra credit, uh, the little changes that you see in the arteries in the beginning matter a lot, far beyond the, the architecture. And the reason is a very slight opening allows a lot of blood through for, for physics students. The flow through a vessel is proportional to the fourth power of the radius, meaning if the radius of this vessel improves just a little bit, the flow goes crazy. And that's what knocks out the chest pain and makes you feel like you're living again. Let's take an interesting question from Jennifer. And this is so timely. It's it's perfect because this is the time of year when we indulge more than we should, right? Seasons greetings, seasons eatings. Jennifer at 12:12, how quickly can returning to a non-vegan diet spike your total cholesterol number? She's wondering how can a long weekend of eating meat and cheese and all kinds of unhealthy things followed by a cholesterol test the next week can that give a falsely high cholesterol number? Well, it gives a high cholesterol number, but it's not false. It's real. You earned it. Um, don't, <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Um, there's a couple of reasons for not doing that. One is that little changes do cause, do cause surprisingly rapid problems, and not just in cholesterol, but in blood sugar. A person with diabetes who eats not sugary things, but fatty things will find that their insulin resistance gets worse within a matter of an hour or so and their blood sugars start to spike and they stay high for the next day. Um, the other thing, apart from the physical issues, is you know, you're, you're kind of teasing your taste buds with those, uh, th those things. And I think, well, I'll only do this once, but it's kind of like a smoker who's been clean for two years and thinks, all right, maybe now I can have one. You know what happens, kind of leads to more and more. So my suggestion is that we not, uh, not dangle in front of us the, the foods that we're trying to get away from. All right. It's kind of a similar question here, but with an eye on blood pressure, this one comes to us from Gracie, who is wondering how much benefit would someone who has high blood pressure have if they only eat a whole food plant-based diet 75% of the time, but the other 25%, they're just eating whatever is in front of them. <laughs> um, the um, There was a study called the DASH study, Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. And they did kind of what you're talking about. Um, they were inspired by the fact that people on plant-based diets have lower blood pressure. And they decided to see would a sort of semi-vegetarian diet work. And the answer is it does. It, it does lower blood pressure quite significantly, and it does it within about two weeks' time. So that's all good. Um, the two parts of that diet that seemed to matter, though, one was they were not pumping up donuts. It was pumping up vegetables and fruits. Why does that matter? They don't have much sodium and they've got a lot of potassium. That's blood pressure lowering. 
So vegetables and fruits come in. And the other piece of it was what goes out is meat, dairy, fatty stuff. So they kept that low. It was not quite vegan, but pumping up the vegetables and fruits, reducing the animal products, that's the way to go. And the more you do that, the better your result. Let's take a question from Bill Ding, the constructor. That's a name right there. At 1213, going back to what it was we were talking about with uh, refined foods, does refined white sugar build plaque on the arteries? And is sugar overall bad for the arteries? Uh, you know, nature packed sugar into apples and oranges, and that that's okay. And it's in sort of modest amounts, and it comes with a lot of fiber, and it's good. In fact, it's essential. That's the main fuel your body loves. Where we run into trouble is if, if we have more concentrated sugars. And if you eat a lot of it, your body can eventually turn it into fat. That said, it's not as bad as the fat that you're eating that's already fat. Um, so overdoing it on sugar is not, not a great thing. Um, but I don't want you to think that sugar is the main devil and that um, all of the grease uh, gets a pass. That's not true. Uh, take a question from Al. This is actually a holdover from last week's show. Uh, wants to know, is too much being made of healthy fats? Hmm. Um, if by that you mean that, for example, people are saying olive oil is healthy or extra virgin olive oil has some particular um, value to it. I, I think, yes, I think, I think too much is made of them. I, I think their, their health benefits are really very limited, uh, which is to say that if you switch from chicken fat to olive oil, good switch. Uh, chicken fat is 30% saturated fat. Olive oil is only 14. So that's a lot better. But what if you cook with a nonstick pan and you're not using oil at all? Zero saturated fat. Um, and the problem is with the good fats, they, they are better for your cholesterol. I'm talking about uh, healthy plant fats as opposed to animal fats, much better. From your waistline standpoint, you'll discover you do better if you really keep even the good fats to a minimum. Here's a pretty good question uh, from someone at 1216, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce these words. They always trip me up. Uh, they are wondering, what is the difference between arterial sclerosis and atherosclerosis? Do they both cause high blood pressure? Um, they, they are synonyms, um, and they both mean that the arteries have been narrowed by the formation of plaques. And the relationship with blood pressure is the narrowed arteries don't then cause the, the high blood pressure, the, the high blood pressure adds to the risk that these arteries will be will be damaged. So so the, the cause is your blood pressure is high and that in turn causes the atherosclerosis to accelerate. Uh, sticking with hypertension, leftover question from Michael. How do, uh, how do coffee and caffeine affect hypertension? They raise your blood pressure. Um, everybody's different. You know, if, if you're not a coffee drinker and you put on a blood pressure cuff and you have a good stiff cup of coffee, and that caffeine gets in your bloodstream, your blood pressure is going to go up, 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 up. And, and that's true even if you're a more experienced coffee, drink, uh, coffee drinker. The thing, though, is that your body starts to accommodate to caffeine after a while, and the uh, blood pressure raising effect might start to moderate out and not be quite so significant over time. Um, that said, it never goes quite down to, to zero. Interesting question here from Chris, and I'm not sure that there is an answer to this one just yet. This is at 1214. Does too much fiber, he's talking about more than 100 grams a day, interfere with mineral absorption? And Dr. Barnard, the only thing I can think here is because all of that fiber is just flushing everything right through the system. Wow. Well, that's um, 
for an American, that's a heroic amount of fiber. There are parts <laughs> of the world where, where people are eating lots and lots of root vegetables and fruits and things, and they achieve that, that uh, value, but tends not to happen in Peoria too often. Um, and yeah, you're, you're thinking right. If you're having a huge amount of fiber, it can reduce mineral absorption uh, to a degree. But on the other hand, what, what is your fiber in? If the fiber is in broccoli or in fruits or in, in beans and other legumes, the same food that brought you fiber is also bringing you a lot of minerals. Um, so I don't think that, that, that it's going to end up causing you a problem unless you went to the drugstore and you got a Metamucil prescription thinking that's healthy fiber and it, that is not a mineral rich food. But so if you're getting it from, if you're getting your fiber from mineral rich vegetables and fruits and whole grains and beans, you're going to be fine. That's great. Let's pivot on to another topic. Take a question from Weiss at 1216. Weiss is wondering what plant-based foods are good for the memory. So that's something that a lot of people are dealing with uh, right now is cognitive decline. And we know the prevalence of Alzheimer's in this country as well. Very important topic. Very exciting one. I wrote a book a number of years ago called Power Foods for the Brain because you know, if you make a list of all the things you don't want to have happen to you, you know, at, the, at the top of that list is Alzheimer's disease because you lose everything. Uh, two lists of foods. One is things to avoid. Uh, saturated fat, that's dairy fat, beef fat, meat fat in general. Um, you want to avoid that. Getting, getting away from animal products will go a long ways there. And also the coconut oil, palm oil, skip them. Shine your shoes with them, don't eat them. Um, you should also be avoiding the trans fats, which are in snack foods. Um, and avoid excess metals. Sounds strange, but really high iron foods and high copper foods can aggravate the, or increase the risk of Alzheimer's, according to the best work, uh, research we've got. So what can help us? Um, one thing that will help is vitamin E rich foods. Uh, those are particularly the nuts and seeds, but because they can be kind of caloric, maybe an ounce a day or something like that would be a reasonable amount of nuts or seeds. Uh, there's some evidence that that dark, darkly colored uh, uh, blueberries, um, grapes, those kinds of things that the anthocyanins in these uh, can seem to, seem to help memory. And vegetables and fruits in general do, for whatever reason. Researchers have looked at populations that are the vegetable ignorers, and they tend to have a higher risk of dementia. People who bring vegetables into their daily routine have much less risk. So there's a few things to get you started. Um, don't forget to lace up your sneakers. This is a place where exercise really does make a difference. Exercisers are at lower risk for Alzheimer's. Uh, let's keep bouncing around here. Take another interesting topic. This one from RP at 1219, wondering whether a whole food plant-based diet can make your blood thin. They say that they keep getting asked if they're on blood thinners, but they say they're not. Have you heard of that? Um, if you mean that you're, uh, sometimes when people talk about blood thinning, they mean that they tend to bleed more easily, or if they cut themselves, they, they don't stop bleeding. A plant-based diet will not do that, but it does thin the blood in a in a healthier way. It makes the blood less viscous. Um, guys who are interested in cars will know what I'm talking about. You, your motor oil that's viscous, that's thick as, as compared to one that's, that's thinner. The, the viscous one doesn't flow as well. And so in your blood, if you eat a lot of fatty stuff, um, cheeseburgers, your blood is more viscous. It's, it's thicker and that will cause your blood pressure to go up. And so thin, if thin blood means low viscosity blood, that's uh, the best thing that you want to have going through your blood vessels is, is nice, sort of thin, easily flowing blood that brings your blood pressure down. And to accomplish that, you just focus on plant foods, 
vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, keep the grease really low. And definitely here's where you want to avoid the palm and coconut oils and certainly all the animal fats because those are those produce the blood viscosity that you don't want to have. Uh, 1222, a question from Misty Hayes. You know, we talk about reversing heart disease. We talk about reversing diabetes, but Misty is wondering whether you can reverse advanced kidney disease. Well, um, two things. Um, your kidneys are, are organs that are made up of a million little filter units, the nephrons, and they've got a tough job. They have to clean out your blood. Um, they are assaulted by high blood pressure, they're assaulted by infections, uh, by diabetes, all these things can, can kill them off. And if a neuron has been killed, it's not coming back. However, um, if your kidney still has some functional uh, nephrons in it, as it sounds like you do, then the thing to do is to, to save the ones you've got. And you can do that by making sure that you're, if you have a high blood sugar or high blood pressure, that those get controlled. and and uh, plant-based diet is job one there, of course. Um, and really, this is another reason to avoid animal protein. We talk a lot about animal fat and so forth, but animal protein here has been shown to be one of the biggest uh, problems with, with killing off the remaining kidney function. So a plant-based diet, um, minimize salt or keep salt moderate to low. Um, those are really the, the best things you can do for your kidneys. All right. We have kind of a two-part question from Alfred, and we don't need to bring it up on the screen because it is quite long. But uh, Dr. Barnard, I do want to start with this. He's wondering what health studies have there been done on individuals who have been raised eating a vegan diet from birth? So how does their health throughout their lifetime compare to those who are eating the standard American diet from birth? There was a very cool study that was done in a place in Tennessee. It's called The Farm. And it was... Um, I have uh, friends who have uh, businesses there and they would describe themselves as sort of a, um, a grown-up hippie community where a great many people got a huge amount of land and they set up book publishing and, and uh, soy milk facility, all these things. And one of the, the tenets was that they were gonna be vegan themselves and raise their kids vegan and they did. And so then many years later, a researcher said, what a unique opportunity to see how people are doing there and what did they find? They found that the kids were the healthiest kids around, that they grew up really healthy. And those kids are now about 40 uh, years of age or maybe a little bit more than that now. And the, the bottom line is that they do really, really well. Um, another population that's been looked at a lot is Seventh-day Adventists. Um, and, and they're of interest because regardless of diet, they tend to be health conscious, non-smokers, mostly teetotalers and so forth. Some are meat eaters and some are vegans and some are kind of gradations in between. And the people who follow the vegan diets are far more likely to have a healthy body weight and to avoid diabetes compared to the meat eaters. One caveat, uh, a lot of people will go to a vegan diet sort of midway through life as a way of tackling those problems. And so, so that study, I think, is uh, the Adventist studies are a mixture of people who have been doing it from birth and people who adopted it later. But the best evidence we have is that, that, that when kids are breastfed by mom and grow up on a plant-based diet that's hopefully uh, halfway well-planned, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, don't forget your B12, that simple combination is just the best fuel for your body. 
All right. And then his other question is, now that he's armed with all of that information is, well, how do you convince somebody who is not eating a plant-based diet to adopt it? Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a loved one. We're all kind of getting together this time of year. So how do you even broach that topic and really kind of pique their interest? Oh, great, great point. Um, one thing, obviously, you can you can have a conversation and you can you can share information. For some people, that works well, um, but you will discover, as I'm sure you already have, that some people are a little defensive about what they're putting in their mouth. They feel like they're being judged, and they they will sometimes be a bit argumentative and so forth. If you're in that situation, I find it's often helpful to let somebody else do the talking. Um, for example, it's uh, a holiday time. And instead of watching The Sound of Music for the 25th time, um, you might want to watch Game Changers or What the Health or uh, one of the new new films that are coming out, Sea uh, Spiracy and others that talk about our effects, the effects of diet on our health and the environment. And that way, somebody else is carrying the message, not you. Um, you can also give them a book to read. Um, and if you do, they will never open it. It'll just sit there on their table until um, you put Post-its in it. You know what I'm talking about? Those little post-it notes. Put one on chapter three and one on chapter seven and one on a couple of recipes and then put a post-it note on the front and you say, dear, whoever it is, um, I thought of you when I read the part that I flagged with a post. I promise you. As soon as you're out of the room, they're going to open it up. They're going to read that chapter six times to see why you thought of them. Um, so anyway, uh, my point being, share information and uh, and see what's next. All right, let's uh, go back to heart disease here. We have about five, 10 minutes remaining here. Take a question from Tammy at 1228. Tammy is wondering whether plant-based butters like Smart Balance are safe for people who have heart disease currently. Uh, plant-based butters are better um, than the animal-based ones usually. Um, however, um, take a look at the label. And what you really wanna focus on first is the saturated fat content. That should be zero. And secondly, it's not a bad idea. Instead of buttering the bread with a healthier spread, just buy a better bread and maybe you don't need the spread at all. Because even if it's a plant-based, say, um, if it's plant-based fats, and there are some that really don't have any uh, saturated fat in them, you'll, you'll see them or very, very little, um, you're still better off with, with just not having any of that at all. Um, there are some like Benacol that have been on the market for a long time, and they actually contain plant-derived products that have a specific cholesterol lowering effect. So some people um, seek those out for that benefit. Uh, let's do some housekeeping with exercise. Susan at 1225, wondering how much exercise do we need every day and is more always better in this case? Um, a good rule of thumb is at least maybe about a half hour a day of brisk exercise. And brisk means not a trudge, but nece not necessarily so fast that you can't uh, say speak. So you're out walking along. If you're just kind of dawdling and your heart isn't increasing its rate, that doesn't really count. But if you're going so fast that you're winded and you can you can barely speak, that's probably a little bit too much. So about a half hour brisk walk per day. But if you have trouble fitting it in every day, do about an hour three times a week. That's a good sensible amount. Is more better? Yeah, I think it is. Um, until once you get into a few miles a day, uh, beyond that point, different people have different tolerances. And there are some folks where their joints have more trouble um, keeping up with them. But but generally speaking, my rule of thumb is, yeah, the, the, is the more that you can, can do and can do comfortably, I think the better off you're going to be. 
Let's take a question from Allie here. Hopefully we can give her a little bit of help at 1230. She's wondering whether a plant-based diet can help someone who was just diagnosed with prostate cancer. Great question. Um, Dean Ornish, after he did his work in heart disease, did a really important study that was published in the Journal of Urology where he looked at men who had prostate cancer. And the prostate cancer is a little bit different from many other cancers in that it, it grows really pretty slowly for most, most men. So often doctors will say, let's, let's just watch this. I don't think we need to do surgery or radiation right now. Let's just hold off. Um, and then they'll use a, a blood test called PSA to watch the progression of the cancer. Um, in a control group in Dr. Ornish's study, the participants did what happens to men with prostate cancer, which is their PSA blood tests gradually worsened and a couple of the people had to drop out of the study to have surgery uh, in the first year. He had an experimental group in this study and they followed a vegan diet. I mean, a healthy vegan diet, uh, carefully planned foods, really low in oil, healthy foods. And their PSAs actually didn't rise. On average, they were falling. Not a lot, maybe about 4%, but that's good. I mean, that meant that nobody needed any treatment during the, the, the course of that study. Um, that doesn't mean that you never will. It doesn't mean that it's magic, but it means that when a person is on a plant-based diet, the hormonally-based benefits of that kind of diet can reduce cancer progression according to the best evidence that we've got. So if any man who has prostate cancer should run, not walk to a vegan diet, adding the exercise component to it can be helpful because it can help us with our body weight. It can help us to also stay away from junk foods. The more we exercise, the more just good we feel and we, we tend to stay on an even keel. All right, time for two more questions. Mm -hmm. uh, one goes to Susan Song at 1230. She says, my brother insists on giving milk to his son, says that that's the only way that the kid is going to grow tall. Susan is wondering what could she tell him? You know, we grow up with a lot of mythology, I have to say, and we all have, um, and it's been kind of ingrained into us. And, and your parents are, 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 obviously they want to do the very best for their kids. And, and they've heard from the government and other, other sources that milk is a, a good thing for kids. Um, if we look at countries that never had milk consumption, um, Japan prior to about 1980 or 1990, I mean, these were people were thin, tall, healthy, um, very little diabetes, very little uh, hormone-related cancers and everything, and milk came into their diets and it didn't, didn't help them, it did just the opposite. Now, if you want to give milk to your children, um, there are plenty of sources of milk that have protein, they've got calcium, they've got all kinds of good things. What they don't have is the estrogens, which are in cow's milk. Let me make sure that we're clear about that. Cows make estrogen, the female sex hormone. They are impregnated every year on dairies to keep their milk consumption, the milk production high, and that causes them to make even more estrogen, and that gets into the milk that you're feeding to your kids. So the dairy industry doesn't want to talk about it. They say, oh, it's not really that much. It's more than enough to be biologically active. If you give your child soy milk, there's no, uh, th there's no estradiol in the soy milk. There are isoflavones, which turned out to have the opposite effect of the estradiol. They reduce cancer risk. They're healthy. Um, or almond milk or pea milk or oat milk or hemp milk. All of those are perfectly fine. All right. And we're going to end things with another heart healthy question. This one from America. Let's get healthy at 1233. They're wondering what about homemade nut cheeses? Do they still have saturated fat? It depends on the nut that went into it. Um, and if you look at nuts, 
uh, you can even just go into the store and just look at the label on the nuts. And the thing to really look at is you'll see the total fat. And for all nuts, it's pretty high, uh, except, and this is good at the holiday time, chestnuts and water chestnuts, pretty low in fat for some unknown reason. All the rest, pretty high in fat. But then the, the thing that matters mostly is the saturated fat content. You'll see they vary. Uh, uh, cashews, for example, tend to be a little higher in the saturated fat. That's what makes them nice and creamy um, compared to say walnuts or, or almonds. So if it were me, I would suggest choosing the ones with the lowest saturated fat. Don't forget, you can join us for the exam room live every Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific over on Facebook and on YouTube. It is there that experts like Dr. Barnard will be answering questions in real time. Your questions, as a matter of fact, in real time. And while we get to as many as we possibly can, we also save the answers that we don't get to for an upcoming episode. And never once has there ever been a single show where we don't learn something new together, where we don't raise our health IQs. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of shows, but somehow the health IQ always climbs just a little bit higher. And I suspect that it will be the same for you. So again, the shows are Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and on Facebook. And I do hope to see you there. By the way, if you can't join us live and you still have a question, you can send it to me anytime on Twitter or Instagram. I am at Chuck Carroll, WLC. Let's shift our attention to the latest in nutrition research now, where a new study is showing that eating a predominantly plant-based diet can protect you from becoming a victim of many of the leading causes of death. For those exciting and healthy details, let's head to the exam room news desk. Whether it's heart disease or cancer, a predominantly plant-based diet is again proving to be effective in reducing your chances of dying from those diseases and many others. Data published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition is spotlighting that healthy news. The study compares the mortality rates of more than 22,000 participants. And the findings show that those who followed what is known as the Lancet diet, which is full of fruits and vegetables, legumes and whole grains, but cuts way back on animal products and saturated fat. Well, those individuals had mortality rates for cancer, heart disease and all causes that were 25 percent lower than those who did not closely follow the diet. The author suggests future research utilize these results to develop global sustainable dietary guidelines. That research makes me think back to a conversation Dan Butner and I were having recently on the show. Dan, of course, studies the regions in the world where people live the longest, known as blue zones. And he said that we have four times more control over our longevity than our genes. It's an 80-20 equation when it comes to living longer and living healthier. And a big part of that, as evidenced just now, is what you eat. I've dropped a link to the study in the episode notes if you'd like to delve a little bit deeper into it for yourself. If you feel like you've raised your health IQ by a point or two, please subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee and give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcast or wherever it is that you get your shows. Because every new subscription 
makes it easier for our friends, our family, our fellow men and women to find this potentially life-saving information when they need it the most. This episode of The Exam Room has been brought to you by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. Greg Ryder's love for animals was unrivaled, and today, the fund in his honor is dedicated to supporting organizations just like the Physicians Committee, organizations that share that same passion and the same love that he had for animals, and they're doing it through animal rescue efforts and by promoting a vegan lifestyle and even wildlife conservation. I encourage you right now to please visit GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org, where you can learn more about his incredible story, as well as the issues that they are currently working on that can improve the lives of animals. And while you're there, please also subscribe to their newsletter. And you can find a link to the Gregory Ryder Fund right now in the episode notes. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for joining us. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.